They're often overlooked. They are considered by most to be the second team in their own town, like the NHL's New York Islanders or the NBA's LA Clippers. But the Chicago White Sox are forcing people to take notice of what's happening on the South Side with one of the most exciting teams in baseball. Another home run barrage, five of them tonight. And the first seven game win streak for the Chicago White Sox in five years brings the Sox to 17 and 11. They're good and they're fun. And that's why we wanted to talk to their TV voice, Jason Benetti. So what happened after we talked to Jason and before this episode landed on your phone the next morning? Lucas Giolito went out and threw a no-hitter. So unfortunately, we can't talk to Jason about the no-hitter, but it kind of backs up the premise that they're good and they're fun. If you don't believe me, listen to Jason's call. On 0-2. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is a swing and a belt. Adam Angle is there! A no-hitter! The 19th! in White Sox history. Jason Benetti was born in Chicago. He attended the prestigious Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University, earning his undergrad degree there, and then went on to earn a law degree from Wake Forest University. He is one of the most versatile play-by-play announcers at ESPN, calling a variety of different sports. And for the last five years, he has also been the television voice of the Chicago White Sox. He is a colleague and a friend of mine, and he is as funny as he is talented, which is my way of saying he's a lot of each. Jason, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Dan, thank you for having me. And goodness, can I just have you read my bio everywhere? It sounds so great when you say my bio. Thank you. That's exactly the way you emailed it to me. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) You deserve all the accolades that you get, and I'm very happy for all the opportunities that you've gotten both nationally and locally in Chicago. So let me start here. You're a Chicago guy. You're calling White Sox games, and I can relate. I'm a Toronto guy. I'm calling Blue Jays games. As a kid, White Sox fan or Cubs fan? White Sox. White Sox for sure. Uh, Split household. My dad was a Cub fan. My mom was a Sox fan. And we have slowly, well, it started slowly and then became a full conversion when I got the job. Uh, My dad is now converted to White Sox fan. But I I went to both parks and I actually, I think it was my last time at Wrigley Field or one of the last times I was at Wrigley Field as a fan. I lost two baby teeth in the same cheeseburger (laughs) <laughs> at Wrigley Field. So that, that cemented it for us that I was a Sox fan. No, I, we went to a lot more Sox games than Cubs games. So that was, it was, I was a Sox fan growing up. So when you were like 11 years old, I don't know if you were one of these kids who would sit in front of the TV and call games. Did you, as a kid, did you dream of being the White Sox play-by-play announcer at all? I actually did. I was the kid who walked around like gym class in fifth grade doing Hawk Harrelson impersonations. Like I used to say, you can put it on the board. Yes. Uh, and at one point I was in some class and they asked us to write an essay about what we want to be. And my mom dug this up because she's into blackmail. And it was like, I want to be the White Sox announcer after Hawk Harrelson or something like that. And there was a big Y-E-S at the bottom of the page. It's crazy. And lo and behold, life played out just as you dreamt. That's a very cool story. That that's I didn't know all that. Is and even though I know you, I didn't know all that. That's terrific. So, my premise for this episode, Jason, is that wow, are the White Sox fun? 
I think the San Diego Padres are an unbelievable amount of fun. They might have cornered the market on the most fun team in the sport this year. And I know I'm going to hear it from Blue Jays fans for saying this, that I think the White Sox are probably the most fun team in the American League right now. And I think the Blue Jays are neck and neck with them, but the Blue Jays also have those games where they kind of make you bang your head against the wall a little bit and they lose a game that they should have won. And so I think they're just a, a little bit behind the White Sox in being really, really fun. That's how it looks from the outside. From the inside where you are calling games, are they as fun as they appear to be? They are. First of all, I hate to say what I'm about to say because it sounds like I've been duped by spring training and I've never been to spring training ever before. But going into spring training, all the stuff you hear about teams gelling quickly and being a lot of fun, we walked into that clubhouse the first time and I thought, wow, like these guys really do believe that they're about to do something special. And this is when we thought 162 game season and the regular amount of playoff teams and all of that, it felt very much like one of those clubhouses where there's very little divide between the veterans and the young guys clubhouses where everybody of every background meshes. And that has played out into summer camp. We saw it like in the first exhibition game they were doing all this stuff in the dugout that made you think that they are really a joyful bunch. Honestly, it goes back to me to the whole kerfuffle with the Royals and Tim Anderson last year. Fun in baseball is not allowed. We have to yell at each other because he flipped his bat because he hit a home run. Why don't you just get him out? That would be the idea, but that's not going to happen. So here comes everybody onto the field. That is a number one as an example of why throwing somebody is a really bad idea, let alone safety-wise, but competitively. Had the Royals just let Tim flip his bat and gotten him out next time, he wouldn't have become nearly as much of a star as he did, but he infused vitality into this team that I think still is being carried. And Eloy Jimenez is young and fun, and Luis Robert is young and fun, and, and Lucas Giolito is screaming, let's go, as he walks off the mound. But it started with Tim Anderson, and it started with the Royals awakening him and his stardom. And so I, I think what, what Kansas City did back in – April of last year, it was a really bad idea for the rest of the AL Central. So uh, as an aside, just the inside broadcasting thing, are, are you guys doing your home games from the ballpark? Are you actually there for the 30 games in Chicago? We are at the ballpark for all 60, actually. We're doing road games from our ballpark as well. So, But we are at the ballpark. We don't have a swanky studio like you guys. Your studio <laughs> looks like it should be on cribs. That thing is great. Honestly, wait till they find out at the end of the season that I'm not leaving it. And, and I'm just going to watch all of my hockey and basketball and the win football. I'm going to just watch all my winter sports there, too. It, it's an unbelievable setup. But, I mean, I'd love to be at the ballpark. And I would imagine when you're there for the 30 home games, you can see the guys pouring out of the dugout, meeting a guy after a big hit. You And because there's nobody in the ballpark, you can hear the excitement and the enthusiasm that these guys have as well, right? It's absolutely true. We can, and, and we watch for that. Just watching pregame. I mean, Dallas Keiko was out there with a couple guys about a week ago throwing a football around. We didn't even know if there was going to be a football season, and we still don't know if there's going to be a football season. But they have such fun with each other, and, and getting to watch it from the ballpark is a little bit eerie because there are no fans in a place that you expect for there to be fans. So it's, it's a little bizarre, and road games actually feel a little more comforting because you can completely turn your brain off. But for, for the home games, we do hear that in the dugout and we see all of the interactions. And it's, I mean, it really is 
It's like if you were going to write a sitcom about a young, spunky bunch of 20-somethings playing baseball and overcoming what people think is their fate, a.k.a. third place, and trying every day to push that boulder up the hill with joy and with muscle. And I think you would cast yourself as the play-by-play announcer in that sitcom, wouldn't you? Uh, Jim Brockmeyer, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny you say they're, you know, almost like it was their predetermined fate, third place, because I went into the season thinking, okay, Yankees and Tampa are really good. Minnesota and Cleveland are really good. Oakland and Houston are really good. That's six. Two more playoff spots. And I kind of went into the season thinking Blue Jays, White Sox, maybe Texas, maybe the Angels. Angels have had... Uh, a terrible year. And it looks like the White Sox have kind of separated themselves and moved up into the haves. And there are a lot of have-nots, and there sit the Blue Jays kind of in that eighth spot, kind of in the middle. They're the only team in the middle class of the American League right now. Um, so how good, you, you told me how good they thought they would be going into the spring. How good did you think they would be once the season got going eventually and once you saw how all the pieces fit together? It struck me that the White Sox were one of the team's best fit to do 60 instead of 162. So number one, obviously, playoff expansion. But even without playoff expansion, I felt like the White Sox were best equipped in the American League for a short season simply because the bullpen is pretty deep in terms of guys you can use for multiple innings. Uh, starter slash reliever hybrid like Gio Gonzalez, Ross Detweiler can soak up innings. And the Sox have done all of this winning with that seven-game win streak without Aaron Bummer and his turbo sinker on the IL with a bicep injury. So to me, it felt like the Sox, because they, they were so exuberant and they have so much of a deep lineup, that the 60-game season best fit them for teams that were on that upwardly mobile track in the American League. And I actually, I thought the Blue Jays would be second for that, just because I think in 60 games, psychologically, at some point when you're young, you don't know how good you aren't over 60 games. You know what I mean? And then that's not to besmirch the character of either of our teams, but I just think like the youthful bulletproof exuberance that comes with being an early 20 something, just experiencing the major leagues, the level of exposure is minimized in 60 and the White Sox rotation on the back end is a little thinner than you'd like it to be because it's, it's Giolito, Keiko and Cease. And then there have been some injuries and inconsistency with Reynaldo Lopez and Carlos Rodon and so you can fill those gaps with a bullpen, especially with expanded rosters. So I felt like that put the Sox in a good position. Yeah, and I think the Blue Jays could say a lot of the same things. And as soon as it went to 60 games, it was as if they took on a why not us mentality. Like who decided it shouldn't be them? Now, again, going from five teams to eight teams was an enormous gift to teams in the middle class. So that, as you said, that should be taken into consideration. Take me back to the winter a little bit. So you've got Moncada and Jimenez and Robert and Anderson and young, talented energy players. But then they re-sign Jose Abreu and they sign Yasmani Grandal, Dallas Keuchel, Edwin Encarnacion. What was the reaction like in White Sox Nation when some of those big names came to town? Well, I will say White Sox Twitter has been banging the Yasmani Grandal drum for the last couple of off seasons. Like if, if they had 
if they had a room in their home, if they were 15 years old and they had like teenage heartthrob posters, it would all be Yasmani Grandal. <laughs> like every Sox Twitter person who's prominent at all wanted Yasmani Grandal. And I don't know how this works for you, but every time the Sox make a big move, I'm either on a plane or getting on a plane and about to either not have Wi-Fi or have sketchy Wi-Fi. The Jose Quintana trade in 2017 happened while I was coming back from London over the All-Star break. So I was like over Newfoundland or something, and <laughs> the trade happened, and I'm like looking up Dylan Cease and all this stuff from 20F next to the bathroom. And then the Yasmani Grandal trade, I was getting on a plane to go to, I want to say, a, a basketball game. Like I had just gotten into my seat, and I looked at my phone, and it had exploded. I was like, what did I tweet? Is my career over? <laughs> and instead, it was just that the White Sox signed Yasmani Grandal, and that was the heralding that things were going to change this offseason. Because, you know, I don't, I don't know how your listeners, how deep the knowledge is of White Sox offseasons past. But there were there were some people who thought that the Sox should have even spent, you know, the the whole Machado thing, right? Like like Manny, this is this is yet another uh, piece of plight that nobody probably cares about. But I'm on the podcast, so I figure I'll share it. Maybe it'll get a laugh. But like the day Manny Machado signed with the Padres, I was with Dan Dockage at Assembly Hall at like six thirty before a game was about to tip, and Dan looks over at me. He goes, "Why are you sad?" And I said, well, I just tweeted a picture of Assembly Hall and people are like, why didn't you sign Manny Machado? I was like, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I'm just trying to talk to J.D. about pronunciations. What are we doing here? So it's been off seasons of struggle. And finally, this one opened up. The sun sign kind of came out. Yeah. You, you know what? It's funny you should say that because, you know, we both do college basketball and we both call games for a baseball team. And it's the same experience. I could be at Duke, Carolina, and I could tweet out something about that. And if I tweet out, you know, Kevin Biggio, blah, 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 or Lourdes Goriel, blah, 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 I will get 10 times the response to a Blue Jay tweet that I will get to a Duke, Carolina tweet. And there's something about when you're the local guy, the passion that comes out in the fan base, for better and for worse, because I'm sure you've been blamed when the bullpen blows up or they don't hit with runners in scoring position or something like that. But you know what? Those are the people who keep us employed and we love them for it. No, we, we absolutely do. I just the, My favorite part is I literally could tweet out, hey, the third person who posts a positive thing to this tweet wins $100,000 on the day that the White Sox don't sign Manny Machado. And nobody's winning the money, Dan. <laughs> well, they did sign Grandal and Encarnacion and Keichel and re-sign Abreu. And he's been hot as crazy, named Player of the Week. And they're doing great. I want to ask you about a specific moment. It's one of the funniest moments that I've seen in baseball in a couple of years, I think. And again, I don't know Robert and Jimenez like you do. But there's a fly ball to left field. It's not even the left center field. It's a fly ball to left field. And Eloy Jimenez is the left fielder for the White Sox. And Luis, uh, Luis Robert is the center fielder for the White Sox. And Robert sprints over and catches the ball right in front of him. And Jimenez knows he's coming and never even moves his feet. That's the funny part. Come on. <laughs> stop it. No. Don't be doing that. Pick and roll, Eloy Jimenez. <laughs> he looks at him going... Luis, Luis knows exactly what he did. Eloy's still mad. Yeah. Like Jimenez is the dry guy, but he's actually the funny guy in this whole bit. What is going through your mind as that play developed? Well, first of all, I'm thinking 
anytime a ball in the air is near an alleyway, I'm thinking Luis is going to go skate over and make the play. I'm thinking, Eloy, please do not make a move because Luis is a runaway truck when he wants to go get a ball in the best way. I mean, he has sheer confidence for a rookie in center field. But as I watched that happen, I just couldn't stop laughing. I mean, Eloy's standing there like it's a high screen and roll. Like somebody's <laughs> going to drive to the basket around him and somebody's tapping their head on the sideline to call the play. That is the perfect example, Dan. I'm glad you picked that out because that is the perfect example of egoless baseball. Robert thinks he can go get the ball and it's better for the team Eloy obviously is joking about it, but if he really had an ego about, hey, this is my territory, that could have led to an injury. Instead, they're doing fun and safe and good baseball all together. As fun as they are, when the moment demands it, do they lock it down and get serious? You know, are they playing hard all the time? Do they realize the opportunity that's in front of them this year? I think so. I think so. And and the fun breeds a more cohesive environment in the dugout. We've had some cutaways uh, on road games of after, you know, they're joking around about a home run, 30 seconds later, they're pointing out what the pitcher throws and what he saw on the home run and how that can help in the future at bats. So there, there's a lot of camaraderie, like baseball, hardcore baseball camaraderie going on in that dugout too. And that's the most impressive part to me because it's not just willy-nilly. And I think as, as you look at Tim Anderson, like if the Blue Jays were playing the Sox this year and you were deep diving on Tim Anderson, his ability to hit the breaking ball has gotten so much better. And his ability to you know, run behind somebody and make a pickoff play at second base has gotten so much better. And Eloy is improving in the outfield. And like the, there are some small movements piling up for this team that suggest it's not just sort of backyard baseball messing around. It's a lot of individual self-improvement that leads to that confidence, which is the best kind. We all know people who are self-confident and maybe shouldn't be. The White Sox <laughs> are very self-confident and are doing the things to allow themselves to believe in that. So the White Sox are in a unique situation, Jason, in my opinion, because they've got the Cubs in town. And, and the Cubs are just a monster in terms of popularity, always have been. It's like Clippers to the Lakers, Islanders to the Rangers, Mets to the Yankees in a certain sense. Does that change? I mean, I was there when they won the World Series in 2005, so I remember that. But you know, do you find White Sox fans coming out of the woodwork when they have a good year? They haven't had a good year in a few years, but they are now. Do you find that White Sox Nation is expanding in numbers at a rapid pace this year? I do, and it's not necessarily even in market. It's not in Chicago. I mean, there are a lot more people watching our telecasts, and I'm grateful for that. But uh, it's also nationally. I mean, I think the White Sox are a team that if, and I said this on the air the other night, if you are one of those people who believes in having a favorite team and then having a secondary team when your favorite team's not doing so hot, I think the White Sox are converting a lot of people nationally because of what you're talking about with the fun and with Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez and Tim Anderson. Let's be honest, there just not are not a lot of black stars in baseball. Tim Anderson has made it very clear that he wants to bring a lot of people along with who might have felt disenfranchised by the game of baseball. And I got to say, a couple of years ago, we went to Kansas City. Tim Anderson ponied up to bring a, a bunch of underprivileged kids on a trip to Kansas City to go to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in conjunction with the White Sox. 
And then you've got you've got a team that had four Cubans at the top of the lineup card for the first time in Major League history. I just think part of the reason the Sox have widespread appeal is because there are a lot of people who don't feel like they are represented by baseball. And the Sox, I mean, the Sox have a lot of people from a lot of places. Yeah, that's a great point. In a couple of years, if the Padres were to play either the White Sox or the Blue Jays in the World Series, I don't know what the national ratings would be, but I know it would be a hell of a lot of fun. I think that goes without saying. I do too. I agree. And I think like somehow, somehow the White Sox having to explain Fernando Tatis Jr. on the Padres isn't the most oh, exciting idea ever. <laughs> but boy, the war, I mean, that think about that World Series though, right? Like if it, if it's White Sox Padres at some point and it's Tatis against his former team, I don't Wow. And then, but I love watching your guys too. I mean, first of all, you do a top-notch telecast, but also I just think baseball's young infusion of talent right now, where we can talk about 30 guys who are super exciting. And, you know, whatever you think about Trevor Bauer, he's spelling out words on the mound after he strikes <laughs> people out. I mean, I think young people love that. And, yeah. and it's, it's, it's brash, but also it's, trying to be really great at the game. And I think what what we understand, you and I and, and Blue Jays and White Sox fans, is you can really, really respect the game of baseball while having fun playing it. Agree 100%. Last question, most important question, and I'm going to ask him this when I have him on the podcast later in the season. How do you get along with Len Casper of the Cubs? What's the relationship like between the booths of the two teams? Uh, he's a jerk. No, um, <laughs> Len... Len if we have two minutes, I'll tell you a story. I was living in, in Arlington, Virginia in 2015, and I was just flying out and doing ESPN games. This was the year before I got the White Sox gig, and uh, the Cubs were in town to play the Nationals for a two-game series, and I'd gotten to know Len because I'd sent him some tapes, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to go to lunch. He said he can't, but after one of the games, they're going to go watch the Stanley Cup Finals, he and the crew. So it was him and Jim Deshays. And a couple producer-director types with the Cubs at the time. And we got together, and Len and I became friends from there. And Len Casper was actually the guy who convinced me to call Brooks Boyer from the White Sox and announce my interest in the White Sox job. So Len was the first guy to tell me that, that the job was open. And he stumped for me. And I actually don't think I have the job without Len. So wow. he's been a great friend. What a wonderful story. When I play the clip for him when he's on the podcast, no, I'm just going to play the jerk part. I'm going to leave out all the nice stuff, if that's okay with you. And he will say, yep, that tracks. That's Benetti. <laughs> uh, Jason, I enjoyed this. Thanks for spending some time. I can tell how much fun you're having by watching your games. Keep up the great work. And hopefully you and I will get to do some college basketball uh, at some point this winter. And I think we have a rain check on lunch. We had a lunch date this summer that COVID took away, but maybe next summer we'll have a chance to get together. That sounds great. Thank you for having me, Dan. It's always great to talk to you. Our thanks to Jason Benetti, who is a tremendously talented broadcaster, an incredibly funny guy, and just absolutely admired and liked by everybody he works with uh, in television sports. And with him being a South Side of Chicago guy, how cool is it that now he is the voice of the White Sox, and I'm sure will be for many, many years. They're good, they're fun, they're young, and they're gonna be a very interesting team to keep an eye on in the coming years. That'll do it for this episode of A Swing and a Belt, produced as always by Christian Ryan. If you'd like to leave us a like or a review or subscribe, we would love all of those things. I'm Dan Schulman, thanks for listening.